and welcome to another episode of Hour of Healing, where each week we discuss life-changing and thought-provoking topics. Today, we have a very special guest with us, and our topic is groundbreaking. We are talking again about marriage. This is a continuation of our series of discussions on marriage, and today we are talking about the living marriage, or the marriage that is alive. Joining us today to discuss our topic is Dr. Ron Woodhart, who is, uh, has his uh, doctorate in education leadership. He is a writer, he is an education mentor, a leadership mentor, an author, and an educator. Uh, Ron is um, proudly married to his dear wife, Mrs. Lee Woodhart, and I believe you've been married for about 15 to 20 years now. <laughs> yes, 20. That's right, 20. 20. Um, and he uh, is the author of the book, Keeping the Stars Aligned. Friends, if you don't uh, have a copy of this book or if you haven't heard of it, I'll strongly recommend it for you. Uh, he is an educator and has worked uh, through the Nashville school systems, currently works with the Springfield school systems as well. He's very passionate about leadership education and also coaching administrators uh, to be able to build a better school system for our young ones. It will be a pleasure for us to be able to have a conversation with Ron today. So Ron, let's get right into it. Marriage, marriage, marriage. You know, um, throughout my short lifespan, I've been able to uh, encounter many people uh, who are married, not married, and anywhere in between. And, <laughs> and you know, um, one time I was sitting down and I was thinking about the definition of the word living or mm. to be alive. And unsurprisingly, when you read the um, Webster Dictionary and um, the Oxford Dictionary, they do talk to you or they explain what it means to be alive. But really, the Oxford Dictionary did say something that was very intriguing to me. And it says that to be alive entails having awareness of something, being interested in something, and also being responsive to that thing. Mm. And what caught my attention was the phrase interest in. Because in many instances, I have run into people who say marriage is the best thing that ever happened to them. And then I've also, on the flip side, encountered people who say marriage is the worst thing that ever happened to them. And so to be interested in means that when we are alive or if our marriage is alive, then there must be an interest in the marriage on both parties. Truth is, interest or enjoying is what distinguishes something that is living from something that is just existing. So I looked up the word existing. And surprisingly, it says that to be existing means you are there or alive without interest. Mm. And that caught my attention. And I said, maybe we don't know what it takes to have a living marriage. And mm. so, dear listeners, this is where our conversation is going to take us today. So, Ron, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Absolutely, Joe. Glad to uh, be a part of the show. Uh, thank you for the invite. And uh, 
I'm, I'm excited about this insightful conversation that we're going to have this afternoon, man. Wonderful, wonderful. So um, you are a writer. You've actually written about marriage. So let me ask you, uh, in your opinion, what is marriage really uh, about or what does the living marriage really constitute of? So first things first, uh, you know, I, I believe that marriage is an institution, right? It is a, it is a bond between uh, a man and a woman where God has brought them together for the purpose of uh, fulfilling uh, uh, a godly purpose, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, it requires a lot of communication. It requires a lot of patience. Uh, mm. It requires uh, a lot of selflessness, being selfless, mm. right? Thinking about the other person, considering what they want, what they need. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful institution. And in this book, you know, I write about um, what it looks like when that institution is off kilter. And then I write about ways to bring uh, the marriage back to a state where both people are happy. So, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, and um, I did actually um, uh, read that in your um, book and we will talk a little bit about your book uh, as we go through the conversation, um, because as you try to um, kind of point out some of the necessary things or the necessary ingredients to keep the spark in a marriage, I think you do unlock a lot of um, powerful things and hopefully you are able to share some of that, um, that with our audience today. Oh, so yeah. um, <laughs> so you, you, you did say that it's an um, institution which I believe 100% that it was a marriage uh, at its original core is an institution ordained by God. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that out of context, you run into a lot of problems. And I think, unfortunately, that's part of why we run into a lot of problems. But you did mention the word selflessness. And so can you share some more light on this for us when it comes to the institution of marriage? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, when, when, when you're married, when you're in this relational context, uh, a lot of your attention needs to be on uh, on your spouse, on your family, the kids. And so it's really about, you know, give and take. Uh, it, it's, it's about uh, effective communication. And sometimes in that communication, you are seeking what the other person needs. Uh, you're seeking to understand uh, what the other person may desire. And then of course you have to be willing to listen to that and then try to meet those needs. And so to meet the needs of the other person to make it work, you have to be selfless. Uh, it means giving of yourself. And it also means making some sacrifices. So, yeah. Absolutely. Now, um, it's, it's interesting you say that, but I will um, ask a follow-up question and say, so what happens if, one party or one partner is the one who is doing all the selflessness and the sacrifice and the other person is not doing it. What are some of the things that we run into there? So there, I think you run into the problem of um, low marital morale. Okay. Mm. And, and what that looks like is, is now there's a relational imbalance. Okay. And then when you have this relational imbalance, low morale creeps in. And then when low morale creeps in, um, 
it, it means that a person is giving maximum contribution, but getting minimum satisfaction. Out of right. Marriage, right. So I'm doing everything I should be doing. You know, I'm planning the date nights. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm doing everything that I should do. But yet on the other side, the person maybe is not giving me what I need in the relationship. What that does is, is it causes it to feel like maybe a person may feel trapped, like they're trapped in a marriage. Mm. Uh, it can make a person feel like they are um, unhappy, dissatisfied, and they carry that. And then if those problems are not discussed or talked about, Joe, it leads to a situation where a person will seek to uh, get out of that situation, right? Whether mm. the right way or the wrong way. It also could lead a person to find someone else. They may mm. remain married, but then they look to find someone else who is meeting those needs. And sometimes those needs are not necessarily sexual. It could be the need for attention. It could be the need for conversation. It could be the need for someone to listen or just understand. But either way, it could be uh, it could be deadly. It could kill that that institution. So mm. it's it's critical. Wow! Wow! Um, those are powerful things there, and we will be diving into these. And um, I, I know you did mention um, having an, a low morale in the marriage. So if we don't get to that today, we will probably get to that at some other day, how we raise morale in our marriage, oh, yeah. which is uh, the core of when I read your book uh, a few weeks ago. I think that's the core of what you were trying to actually um, show in your book, how to actually raise the morale in the marriage or how to increase uh, satisfaction for both parties in the right. marriage. So, um, so let me let me let me let me dive in on that just a little bit, Joe. Um you know, I heard someone say a great quote, and they said that dissatisfaction is the largest driver of change, right? Mm. Dissatisfaction dri drives change, okay? Let me give you some examples. If you're dissatisfied with your weight, then you'll go on a diet, right? Mm -hmm. If you're dissatisfied with the car that you drive, then you'll probably trade in the one you have, and then you'll go for another one. If I you are dissatisfied one. with the church that you attend, then you'll go seek another church home, right? So dissatisfaction is the largest driver of change. And I think that when dissatisfaction lingers in a marriage, then what you have is a situation where a person looks for change, either the right way or the wrong way. And what we really want and what we hope for is to have healthy, strong Christian marriages that last, built on trust, built on effective communication, and, and and built on a foundation of of love and and unity through the holy spirit wow wow thank you so much for um uh, shedding some more light on that for us so then um i know marriage is between two individuals specifically um that's what the institution of marriage is but we can't have a marriage without families because right. Each party, the man comes from a family and the woman comes from a family. So um, does the family uh, play any role? And um, since we're talking about family, I will extend it to the society and the church. Uh, mm. Do they play any role in creating or helping create a, a, a living marriage uh, per se? Um, I, I think that the family contributes to the happiness or the unhappiness. I think that if people have family members involved in their business, involved in their marriage, mm. then it, it could lead to some problems. You know, that's one of the first things that I learned earlier was that keep my mother-in-law, keep my mother 
out of my marriage. So I don't talk to them about uh, any challenges or issues that, that mm. we may have. So we try to keep the family out. Uh, so the family is just here to support and, and to be here for the good times and the challenging times. But as far as what happens in the relationship, they have to stay out of that because that can get real messy and create some real problems. The church ought to be the place where um, both people find spiritual enlightenment. Both people find a sense of happiness. Both people find a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose. And essentially, you know, you, you hope that uh, both individuals find a church uh, that will help the marriage grow and th thrive as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, could there be a situation where both parties find the, um, the sense of belonging, the, the, the nutrition or the nourishment that they need to help them grow individually to make their marriage work? Could there be a situation where um, the husband and the wife find that in different churches? Very possible. Okay. <laughs> that, okay. That, that is very possible. And, and you know what, Joe, that puts a real strain uh, on the, it, it can put a strain on the relationship. I say that if, if I'm worshiping over here on Sunday and then my, my, my wife is worshiping over there, that puts a real strain. It makes it harder to grow together. Um, so yeah, I, and that comes back to the selfishness piece, right? In that instance, it would be great if uh, they can either choose a neutral location that they both like, mm -hmm. or one person may have to make the sacrifice to join the church or the other. So for instance, I was involved in a ministry that I liked, I loved, and my, it was a mega church, and my wife was in a smaller, more down-home church. Mm -hmm. I opted to leave my church to join where she was so that we would be together as a family. But however, if I didn't like that place, I would have recommended that we select a neutral location so that we would both find somewhere happy. It worked out for me that joining her church worked. I liked the pastor. Uh, he was a really good guy. Uh, he had the right vision uh, for the church. The youth ministry was strong and I was able to find avenues where I could use my strengths and to serve the Lord in that way. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, I, I asked that in part because uh, there's been situations where this has come up during um, various counseling sessions when you're talking to um, people um, because sometimes um, the the way I look at it is um, you go to the church over here, your wife goes over there, and yes, you both serving God. Nobody is disputing that, but the message that you receive in is very different. Mm -hmm. And so, um, one if you uh, if care is not taken, one ends up growing more than the other, um, mm -hmm. and when one grows more than the other spiritually. It stunts your growth physically because um, I, I, I happen to believe that our physical growth is positively correlated to our spiritual growth. And so if you are growing spiritually, you expect that physically your, your faith will live up to that level. And if you live in an environment where your partner is not growing in that direction or is going the other way, I see where that can become a, a real challenge or a real problem in the marriage. Um, uh, so uh, thank you for um, shedding some light on that. So what happens in a marriage if uh, decisions of act of intimacy, romance, and things of that nature are all relegated to just one individual or one partner? Let's say it's all relegated to either the woman or it's all relegated to the man. What happens in that situation? <laughs> you know, again, I think that creates uh, 
some relational imbalance again, right? If, if one person is always the initiator of physical mm -hmm. intimacy, if one person always initiates the dates, if one person always initiates the date nights and all the affection, then yeah, you know, again, it will lead to some dissatis dissatisfaction. And again, if that dissatisfaction goes unresolved, then a person starts to look for change. Remember, because dissatisfaction is going to drive a change, whether positively or negative, you know, uh, that dissatisfaction can lead to an argument that or a series of arguments that that dissatisfaction could uh, lend itself to a person maybe stepping out and, and doing something they shouldn't do because they're trying to have their needs met. I do think it's important when I think about the book in the context of the book. Um, you know, one of the things we do in this book is we do teach women how to be more romantic. You know, society says that the man should lead the physical intimacy. The man should mm. plan the dates. The man should court and chase. Uh, however, I, I don't think that women understand the level to which, you know, men also like and enjoy for their women to be romantic with them, you know? And so some of these tips that are in this book demonstrate ways that both partners, both parties can, can show appreciation to each other. Uh, so it's not just the man's job all the time to bring the flowers, to plan the day, to do everything, but it is also nice, you know, sometimes for the woman also to, uh, to plan some romantic evenings, to plan a trip, you know, or to plan some things uh, for the husband as well. But it's important, though, for both parties to take equal part um, in doing those things. Now, is it ever going to be equal, perfectly 50-50? No, but I think it's important for both parties to at least lead and initiate at some times. So it will be critical to have conversations uh, about that. So a person who's feeling like they always lead the intimacy it's important for them to have that conversation with the spouse and to, you know, ask for what they need, you know, or what they'd like wow. to see. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I think when you started, you um, brought up the um, fact that communication is very, very important uh, in here. And I believe in your book, you um, uh, had said, uh, if you don't talk, you leave a lot of things unsaid or something mm -hmm. like that in your mm -hmm. book. And I thought that actually does um, go straight uh, to the core of communication in marriage, that if you don't talk, you are leaving a lot of stuff not to be said. Um, yeah. I, th I thought that was very powerful. So, um, I mean, we, we have about just about 10 or 12 minutes left. So let's talk about some of the things that we can do to raise morale in our marriages. How can mm -hmm. we get our marriages from existing to a place where they are living? Got you. Nice. So, you know, when I speak to groups, Joe, I always laugh. I always ask a question that makes people laugh. Right. So one of the questions that I ask is raise your hand if you received too much praise from your boss last year. Mm. <laughs> and most people laugh and they're like, no way. Right. And so in the same context, when you think about a marriage, Right. The question is, how much appreciation do you feel that you receive from your spouse? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I think particularly as, you know, we think about men, uh, African-American men who sometimes feel beat up by society. You know, when you go and work a job all day, right, when you uh, put in 40 to 60 hours in a work week, mm -hmm. when you take care of your children, when you bring the money home, you know, when you pay the bills, uh, you're trying to be an effective husband, father, and do all those things. You want to feel that it matters. So, but every person wants to feel that they matter, both men and women. So, I mean, so what this book is about and some of the ways that we do that is, is that it's about appreciation, right? 
sometimes you work a job, but you never feel appreciated on that job for what you do. And the same context goes for marriage. You want to feel that the other person appreciates what the other person does, the sacrifices that are made, et cetera. So, mm. you know, in here, we outline some small things, you know, some, something just as simple as uh, bringing home flowers to your wife for no reason, just bring flowers. And, and women can bring flowers to a man also, you know, uh, that has not happened yet. But I'm sure somebody will. <laughs> but, you know, but no comments. You know, it, it, it's a it's a it's a thoughtful thing, right? It, and it doesn't have to be flowers, right? It could just be uh, getting something that the person likes, right? I love peanut M and M's, and sometimes my wife will just get me some peanut M and M's. I love M and M's and Snickers, right? Sometimes she'll leave a Snickers bar or M and M's in a nice note or a smiley face on a post-it note that just says, you know, love you, thinking about you, have a great day. That little bit of appreciation now just raised the morale in our marriage, right? Mm. Uh, it, it made me feel appreciated. It means that, hey, I see you. My wife right. loves flowers. So sometimes without a whim, for no reason, she'll come home and there'll be a beautiful bouquet of flowers in a vase on the counter. She loves that. That makes her happy, right? And so now that's that piece that we mentioned earlier, right, about being selfless and then trying to work to uh, build her morale, making her feel good. You know, no matter what kind of day she had, if it was a bad day to come home to that, it feels better. If it was a great day to come home, now the day became even better. You know, had a great day at work and I came home to a beautiful bouquet. So it could be, uh, there's other things you can do, spontaneous things like uh, plan a date night with multiple activities, right? So maybe there is dinner and then there's a movie and then there's, you know, uh, some other activity, you know, whatever you want to do. The things that you can do like that, um, Plan things that involve communication. Something simple as playing putt-putt golf, right? You're playing putt-putt golf together and you're on the golf course together, you know, the mini golf course, and you're just having lots of conversation. You're laughing and you're talking. So that becomes a fun way to have an evening. You know, or going to a place like, uh, we have a place here in Springfield called Big Shots. Other cities is called right. Top Golf. But you hit a couple of golf balls, you laugh, you talk, but it requires you to talk. Uh, hiking is a great way to get some uh, exercise and to talk together. So go and do a one mile, three mile hike together where you're just walking and talking. There's nobody there but you and the person. The phones are away, no distractions. It's just you and that person. Uh, sometimes my wife and I will get on the water. We'll go kayaking together. We'll get in the boat. It's just me and her. And then we have time to talk and laugh and just it, those little things just keep the morale, you know, extremely high, which is great. Wonderful. Yeah, and I think um, one other thing you talked about in your book was acts of service, um, mm -hmm. like making the meals, uh, for instance, mm -hmm. or uh, washing the dishes rather yes. than leaving one spouse to do it um, <laughs> every single time. Yeah. So um, I think that's uh, certainly uh, really good uh, to be able to do as well. Now, um, I want to ask you, because uh, most of these um, things seems to uh, kind of center around alone time, um, being able to spend time with your spouse and things like that. Now, a, a lot of us or a lot of our listeners um, may have kids, younger kids. So how do kids uh, play a role into um, couples being able to make this alone time or mm. personal space for themselves? Um, can Absolutely. you shed some light on that? Yes, sir. Hey, Joe, that's a fantastic question because let me tell you something. Uh, I, I believe there are two things that can really make things rough in your marriage. One are careers, right? Mm. Your careers or your job can make things difficult. 
I think the second thing can be the child raising, right? Kids, right? So, you know, my wife and I decided that though we have kids and they demand a lot of our time, we said that we're still going to make sure the time we have together is a priority. So we try to do a date night once a month. If not once a month, then, you know, every five weeks, six weeks, we're out somewhere together. And that means either we leave the kids with the grandparents. And sometimes when we couldn't get the grandparents to watch the kids, we would just use, uh, you know, a sitting company. You know, uh, Correct. There, was a, there was a company that that uh, they kept kids from, you know, uh, up until midnight. So that means we can go to dinner. We can go to a late movie, have a good time and pick the kids up at midnight while they were there playing games, et cetera. But we would find a way to make sure that we kept our quality time um, that date night. That date night thing is so important. You know, the same fire that you have for each other when you all were first dating, you have to keep that fire in your marriage. Uh, otherwise, you start just kind of growing apart, right? Um, you grow apart. You, you have different interests. So it's so important to keep that spark, that fire, doing things together, talking together. Um, the guy that wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, uh, I think it's Dr. Gary Chapman said that- uh, Chapman, correct. Chapman, yeah, I think he said, uh, spend 30 minutes with your spouse talking each day. And I was like, wow, that's powerful. And I've tried to kind of do that. We, we try to catch up with each other. Uh, sometimes, again, I talk about work getting in the way. You know, you work so hard to make a living and sometimes when you come home, you're just tired. You know, so instead of me picking the laptop up and doing more work at night, which sometimes I do, I've tried to cut that myself also, but we just spend time talking with each other or we watch a TV program together. You know, we talk at dinner. So just finding a way to get that alone time together is is critical to that marriage, man. It really is something that everyone should strive to do is, is to fight for that. That's worth fighting for. Wonderful. Wonderful. And um, in short, where there's a will, there's always a week, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much, um, uh, Ron, for joining us today. Um, as we wrap up, any final thoughts or words that you want our listeners to um, know concerning our topic today, which uh, was the living marriage? Um, in other ways, uh, keeping uh, life and interest and excitement in our marriages rather than just having it marriages that exist. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. So just for our listeners and, and, and uh, for anyone that may be listening, uh, I, I want to say this to you, uh, your marriage is worth fighting for. Um, you know, when you look at the divorce rates in this country, I believe it's more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. Uh, I think I read maybe one statistic that said maybe like 58% of marriages now end in divorce. And so, uh, you know, the Bible says that what God have put together, what God have joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, I believe there are causes for uh, divorce. Uh, you know, if it's uh, something you can't forgive in terms of adultery or if it's, you know, uh, some kind of abuse, things like that. But if it's just you haven't, uh, you're growing apart and haven't rediscovered each other, then, you know, what this book is about is doing the things, raising the morale so that each person lets the other person know that, hey, I see you, I appreciate you and all that you bring to the table. Uh, an attitude of gratitude is important also. Um, you know, I tell you what, that I would not want to be dating in this day and time for anything. It, it is scary out there. Okay. That's just real, that's just real talk. Scary hours. Joe, listen, this is from an OG now. It is scary out there. I would not want to be doing anything. So I appreciate uh, the, the person that God has blessed me with. 
he's the perfect person. Is the person perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. But just the fact that, you know, I just am so blessed and I appreciate her and I appreciate this union. Uh, I prayed for this union. And so we'll, we'll get into that in another, uh, maybe another <laughs> show. We'll talk about that piece because, uh, you know, I, I would love to hit the piece around, uh, you know, how you find a person. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds so, good. But yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Ron, uh, for joining us today and um, share, sharing not just your personal experience, but also your God-given wisdom uh, with us, uh, with our audience um, uh, uh, concerning this all-important topic. Um, I believe today's section makes about the fourth or fifth topic we've had, a uh, discussion we've had on the marriage uh, topic alone. And um, in a way, dear listener, I want you to know that this is uh, because of the all importance of the union that God, uh, in his infinite wisdom, instituted for us. You know, um, Bible says that whatever God made, he said was good. Mm. And so if God made the institution of marriage, uh, we want you to know, our dear listener, that it's very important that you know that it's good. In the book of Proverbs, it says that whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from Amen. God. Yes, sir. Um, and so we are so passionate about this, not because in any stretch of imagination, we want to put you down to make you think that your um, the struggles you have in your marriage it's only isolated to you. No, mm. we all do face struggles in our marriage. We all go through down times in our marriage. But every good thing is worth fighting for. Mm. Everything that is worth having is worth spending time and committing to. And so we just want to encourage you as we bring our section today to a close that whatever situation that may have risen that is causing you and your partner to uh, drift separate ways. Realize what you saw in your partner the day you proposed to them. Mm. I have a saying that I tell my uh, colleagues all the time that nobody marries their enemy. There mm. was something about this person that you are with right now. The person you cannot stand right now. <laughs> there is something about them that made you want to spend your life with them. And that is the spark that, by the grace of God, we hope and pray that through our short conversation today, you will be able to find. In due time, we will be bringing you the, our last two sections of marriage as we talk about whether to say I do or to say I don't. Oh. And then with the help of our, our doctor, Dr. Rand, today, we will certainly bring you the final part, which will be choosing a life partner. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, so um, uh, uh, as we, we, we part ways with our listeners today, um, Dr. Ron, uh, how will we be able to access your book? Where can we find it if we need it? Yeah, thanks, Joe. You can find the book uh, on Amazon, okay? Uh, the name of the book, again, is Keeping the Stars Aligned, A Christian Couple's Guide to Raising Morale in Marriage by Dr. Ron L. Woodard and Cicely Woodard. So uh, it is out there, uh, paperback, it's uh, $12.99. We appreciate the support from our listeners, and I pray that the book would uh, be a blessing to your life and to your uh, marriage. 
Wonderful. And um, I actually happened to be able to get the book on uh, at a, a cheaper price. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much, dear listeners. We will certainly uh, touch base with you in the coming weeks as you wrap up our, our series of conversations on marriage as we shared earlier. God bless you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.